Hello, this is Keith Parsons with Heavy Wireless Podcast, and today we have Dr. Avril Salter with us talking about LTE, private LTE, CBRS, and as a Wi-Fi person, why should you learn this whole new technology? Dr. Salter, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. It's really good to be with you, Keith. So how would you answer that question? I'm a Wi-Fi person. Why do I need to learn this LTE stuff? So I think the first thing is to realize that this is another wireless technology, which is going to complement your Wi-Fi networks. And so there are certain things that Wi-Fi networks can't do that a private 5G network can do. And so most organizations when they want someone to support the wireless network, you know, they're not going to distinguish between a Wi-Fi person and a 5G person. They probably can't afford to have both skill sets. And so they're going to naturally assume that the person with the Wi-Fi skills are going to be easily able to move across and support the 5G networks, especially as they kind of look and feel the same from a deployment perspective. They're going to be small cells. People are going to be able to roam across the network. And so senior management's just going to assume, I think, that Wi-Fi people are going to be able to support this private 5G network. And in reality, are those skill sets the same? There are a lot of overlap between them. If you understand radio, a radio works the same regardless of whether you're in a Wi-Fi network or a CBRS network or private 5G. Your signals are going to reflect, bounce off walls, etc. You're going to look at coverage and capacity in order to make sure your system is working correctly. But where the danger is I think, is if you make too many assumptions where Wi-Fi works like this, therefore my private 5G network should work like this. So yes, there's a lot of overlap, but I think it's really important to understand some of the key differences. And if I back up a little bit and just say, okay, what are some of those key differences at the highest level that you should remember is that I think most people know that Wi-Fi is operating in the unlicensed band and your private 5G network is probably operating if it's in the States and what's called the CBRS bands. Um, But it will be in probably a shared license spectrum. And what that means is that you can provide quality of service for the traffic that's going over those networks, whereas you can't guarantee that in a Wi-Fi network. What that means is that you'll see private 5G being deployed in environments where you have a need for a very reliable network or a low latency network. Just those things that make quality of service so important for those applications. So that's at the kind of high-level direction application side. But underneath that, from a technology side, there's a few things you need to understand is that in a private 5G network, you have very limited spectrum. You're used in a Wi-Fi network of having very large channels. And as we go to Wi-Fi 7, we're looking at 80, 160 megahertz channels and theoretically wider channels being deployed. In your private 5G network, you might be lucky to have 10 megahertz. 20 megahertz would be amazing. Right? So you've got these really narrow channels. 
which means that you're not going to put applications on there that demand really, really high data rates. You're going to keep those on the Wi-Fi networks. You're going to be looking at things like IoT, voice, mission critical things on the factory floor, things that don't require a lot of bandwidth. So that's really important to understand. The other aspect of that is if you've got a limited amount of spectrum and is shared, those deployments tend to be much more focused and planned. And I'm not saying that you don't plan your Wi-Fi network, but if you don't plan and do your coverage capacity, look at interference between cells on your cellular network, on your 5G private network, I should say, you're really going to run into trouble because those networks are very, very tightly controlled. There's a lot of parameters that assume a well-planned, well-deployed network. You don't want to just be popping up your 5G access points or base stations, whatever you want to call them, uh, without really doing that very rigorous planning. The other aspect is that there are a lot of things in the network that are done to protect against interference, like the frequency reuse plans, interference cancellation techniques that you don't see in the Wi-Fi world. And so in the Wi-Fi world, we're used to CSMA CA. We just try to avoid each other. And yet it's basically who gets the medium first wins. And as long as we don't have a lot of users Each user can use the channel as much as they like. But as soon as we add more and more users in Wi-Fi, they're all sharing that same channel. Even though it might be wide, they're being shared. And maybe I'll just back up a second and throw some terms out and let you describe them. 4G, 5G, LTE, private, public. How do those terms all relate? And then we threw in CBS as well. So can you define those terms? And then we can continue just to call it 5G if we'd like, or private 5G. But can you give us a little background on what those numbers mean? The cellular or the mobility networks started off in the old analog days, just focus on analog voice, and that's 1G. And then they moved to digital voice, which is 2G. And then you see the incorporation of data. And as we've gone from 3G to 4G, 4G really was an all IP network. So it's the evolution from circuit switch voice to now everything going on a packet data network, voice, video, and data. And when we look at 5G, it's really the next evolution. It's really like a continuation of 4G, much like Wi-Fi 6 to Wi-Fi 7. It's a continuation of the same technology. What you see in 5G is, I like to call it 4G on steroids, because everything that was fixed in 4G is variable in 5G from a radio perspective. So if I jump into a bit of technical detail here, Keith, in LTE, the subcarrier spacing, because they're both EarthDMA radio networks like Wi-Fi, but the subcarrier spacing was 15 kilohertz. It was very narrow, and that's needed for high mobility. But as we've evolved forward into these small cells that require very high capacity and that meet the demand for data. And this is no different from the space that Wi-Fi is in, small cell, high capacity networks. When we've gone there, just like Wi-Fi 
move to narrower cells, cellular went the other way, or 5G now has variable subcarrier spacing, and it's gone all the way up to 60 kilohertz, which is very close to the Wi-Fi 6 subcarrier spacing. So these technologies are converging to be very similar when it comes to supporting small cells. So, so back to your point about terminology, 5G is simply the evolution towards supporting high capacity cells, small cells, lots of flexibility to support lots of different applications ranging from voice, data, IoT, etc. When we then look at that technology and we say, okay, that's what the service providers are doing, then there's been this growing demand over the last 10 years. People, It's not new, where people have been taking these mobile networks and deploying them privately. So for instance, railroads have been deploying cellular or mobile networks along a railway track for many years. But as part of that was become recognized in 5G is, hey, there's a need for businesses to take this technology and deploy it themselves. It's not just a service provider technology anymore. And that's when it starts to be called private 5G, is that it's not in the public domain anymore. It's not the service providers. It's private. It's for your business and your business alone. I like that description. Private being not cellular, you just can't go to Verizon or AT&T or Orange. It's yours. But how do you deal with the frequencies? What's the spectrum that gets used when you privatize one of those cellular technologies? That's when the term CBRS comes in. Because in the United States, we've made some frequencies available around the 3.5 gigahertz band that we call the CBRS band. And it's called CBRS because years ago, it was used as citizen band radio. So it was repurposed for now these private networks. And in the future, we might see new bands being made available in the United States for private use. And I hope so. Internationally, it's not called that. And so different countries around the world have different rules and different regulations, just like they do for Wi-Fi. Right. Just like if you remember back in the early days of 2.4 and 5 gig and how it differed around the world, it's the same thing for these mobile networks. And so when you go over to Europe or you know Asia, they're not going to call it the CBRS band. Now, most countries do have something available around the 3.5 gigahertz, just like we have in the States. Um, but they're also making other bands available. And some of them might be shared license, similar to the rules we have in the United States. Others might have different rules where they might have more of a beauty contest in order to acquire that band. But they are all for a private 5G network. When you say private 5G, and if I was a company and I wanted this solution, what are the frequency options? Can I go to my local carrier and lease some spectrum that they have? Because they had to go through usually an auction to buy the spectrum that they're currently using. Do they turn around and sublease that? Or is this like our CBRS in the US? Are there others that are set aside that are still available? Keith, I find that hard to talk to because each country has their own rules or each region has their own rules. 
And we're starting to see the ITUR starting to sort of come together and form global recommendations, but I haven't seen that yet. And so, um, for instance, countries like Germany, they've been doing, you know, Bosch and Mercedes, they've been doing private cellular networks for many, many years with some Pacific bands that they were allocated. So the rules are so different. And I don't keep up with each country that what I'd say to somebody is if they are in a particular country and listening to this podcast, then they need to do their own homework and find out what the rules are. There are organizations like the Wind Forum and the Ongo Alliance. I would probably start there as these industries are promoting and working with different countries around the world and see if they can actually give you some insights. That's where I would start if I was answering that question. If you pick a vendor who's supporting private LTE, do they usually have someone on staff who's up to speed in each different country? If I was some global beer manufacturer and I wanted to run a private LTE in all my factories, every country is going to have different rules, but would I be using the same hardware? The bands around the 3.5 gigahertz are very close to the other bands that the service providers are using. So the products are not that different. Imagine in the 5 gigahertz band in Wi-Fi, there were some that we could use for private Wi-Fi networks in our corporations. And if you remember at the top of the 5 gigahertz band, there was that little bit of band that was allocated for vehicular communications, right? And we couldn't use that in, in our corporations. It had a specific use, but it was the same radio because the radio just needed to be tweaked to operate in those higher bands. So the good news is that there's lots of product out there. When it comes to deployment, you can either acquire your own spectrum because in this country is shared or whatever the rules are in your Pacific country, or you could go to a service provider. They may have acquired or be using the shared band, or they could have their own license technology that then they deploy in your corporations. And in fact, we've been doing that for years. Remember 3G and 4G, if you ask for a femtocell in your corporation or in your home, what you were getting was a base station or an access point that was on the mobile networks that was operating in the service providers spectrum. A lot of corporations have a bad feeling when it comes to working with the service providers. From the PBX days, they feel kind of tied in to a service provider. They're very nervous about working with a service provider. The good news, if you do work with a service provider, be it a large service provider, you know, some of the big names like AT&T, Verizon, or you're working with some of the, the startups that are, you know, coming into the space with a lot of force like Salona. These organizations sometimes have the expertise or can help you outsource the expertise to actually deploy it. You can then move into more of a management side. One of the nice things about a private 5G network is that once it's deployed, it tends to be very, very stable. I've noticed in the Wi-Fi world, you can do a great plan and, you know, you run into interference issues, things change down the road. You have a lot of people perhaps spinning in their own hotspots and 
things can be a little unstable. You tend not to find that in the mobile world. Those networks, once they're deployed effectively, tend to be very stable. So it's not a bad idea to leverage off industry people to help you deploy it. That way, a Wi-Fi person can understand it and then move more into the operational management roles. And when you're operating and managing it, I think the Wi-Fi people that are administrating a Wi-Fi network will feel quite comfortable with private 5G because it's embraced so many of the IT terminologies and concepts in 5G. Does that make sense? I'll do a quick recap of what you said. This is understandable because I do it just like you do. Throw in the word cellular, which is more public, but it's the technology that cellular use, either 4G or 5G. So when you privatize that, you lose all of the back end that normally is provided by a carrier. And so now we are going to have base stations or APs as we call them, but they're running on our switch fabric, our IP infrastructure, our internet connection, and we'd install those just like we would another AP. I mean, it's going to be on our switches. So the traffic is going over our network infrastructure. Unlike the cellular technology, it's over their infrastructure. Is that a fair comparison? Who owns the infrastructure between the private and the public? You're absolutely right about the service providers, but the whole purpose of moving to 4G and 5G was to transition to an all IP network. So the service providers literally have to move and are deploying that very infrastructure that we've been deploying in corporations for years. So in some ways, the corporations are in a better position to embrace the new concepts of 5G than some of the older legacy 5G service providers are because they have to do a lot more heavy lifting because, you know, they've got maybe an old ATM infrastructure, whereas 5G should all be on your IP Ethernet switching fabric. You know, so for instance, in 5G, you can embrace your radius server, for instance, if you want to use that for your authentication. They've defined how you can integrate your private 5G into your DHCP, your DNS server. And so that integration within your enterprise network is defined not to the extent I'd like to see it in the 5G standards, but it is there. And they certainly know how to do it today. They've got a lot of experience in the last couple of years of integrating it with the enterprise. That's why I was saying from an administrative perspective, you might actually feel quite comfortable in managing the 5G network because they've embraced those IT, Ethernet, IP technologies so well. When the vendors who sell into the private LTE space, they kind of mask the complexity of the cellular technology by bringing it all local. You don't have to have all of the rest of the parts of cellular that exist in a carrier network are all combined into something small. Like Athernet has an entire cell system in a box that you just open up and put on your network. So could you address some of the differences in how they hide all that stuff when you go private? You're absolutely right. They've hidden it all. They've put it all in a box and they put it on your network and you really don't know what's in that box. You just know that it works. And the good news is that it gets you up and going and it gets your applications up 
and working quickly. But uh, Keith, you and I both go back on Wi-Fi networks an awful long way. And do you remember how simple it was to put Wi-Fi networks up in the old days? You just plugged it in, away you go. And there wasn't much capacity on it and you didn't need to do very much and life was good. And then all of a sudden it got really popular and you had to do more management of it. And then over the years, we keep putting more and more features into Wi-Fi. And so now Wi-Fi has actually got quite complicated and quite expensive. And Wi-Fi engineers are having to embrace uh, those terms and technologies. They have to understand resource blocks and multi-use of MIMO and beamforming and, and interference techniques. And, you know, if they understand those, they can really deploy a very effective Wi-Fi network. And I feel the same way about these networks. It's great to get you up and going, and it does. But if you're going to really leverage off the advantages of these networks, remember at the beginning I said it's like 4G on steroids. Everything has got a parameter. A lot of those parameters have gone to a default setting, right? You're not able to change it unless you talk to the vendors. Or you may not know that there's a setting that you could tweak that could give you this capability, this improvement that you need. So I think it's great for helping people feel comfortable. I'm very concerned that because we're not accepting that we have a learning curve, just like we have with Wi-Fi, right, that down the road, you're not really going to understand what you can do with this technology, and therefore, you're not going to be able to fully exploit it to meet your business needs. And so, it's a pet peeve of mine, and I think people just have to learn the technology, just like you would learn Wi-Fi, just like you'd learn Ethernet, just like you learn TCP, right? TCP is a tremendously complex protocol, right? And you have people that understand how to optimize your network to make that work effectively. It's going to be the same thing with these private 5G networks, in my opinion. <laughs> so you can buy that mask hidden thing, but you're recommending that we embrace it and learn. So how would someone go about learning this new technology? I mean, there's a lot of new words, a new vocabulary, and maybe I'm just setting you up to swing for the fences and tell us about your course. Absolutely. Well done, Keith. So one of the things that is available to you is a vendor independent course that I actually put together. And it was funded by Salona. And that was really very good of Salona to fund it. And I'm an independent consultant in the industry. And so I really fought to make sure this was fully independent, that it reflects not only what Salona can deliver, but also what the 5G lands are defined to do and what you're going to find capabilities both today and also a little bit in the future. And that course is available on your CWNP. So if you're a Wi-Fi person, you'll probably have taken or thinking about taking the CWNP certifications. And it's on the CWNP website. You have to sign on and get an ID. So you do need to register on the website. But then it's just cwnp.com forward slash C5S, 
C for certified, 5 for 5G, S for specialist. So it's the certified 5G land specialist course. It's available for free. And what I'd say is even if you don't want to take the certification, um, you can access the material and just do the bits that interest you. If you just want to do the use cases, do the use cases. If you want to dive into more detail, do that. There's a section that talks about integration with enterprises. If you want to do that section, do that. You don't have to take the course beginning to end. I've put each module together independently. So just choose the pieces that excite you and go ahead and learn. And try not to be too overwhelmed with the technology. And I tried to bring it back to Wi-Fi whenever I could to try and give you a basis for understanding this new technology. Thank you. And again, thanks for putting that together. It's a adjunct, and maybe you could describe this better. If I wanted to become a CBRS certified in order to do a CBRS design, I have to get certified in the US with the FCC and get a certification number than I would use when I apply to do that design. Does your training also support that? No, the training is really just focused on understanding private 5G. So understanding how it's deployed, what it is, and really getting you up and going on that technology is not your installation side. And in fact, let me return the favor, Keith. You did a, a wonderful link as part of your wireless LAN professional that talked about the different training that's available. And maybe you could share that with the students, because I think you actually provide links for them to get that installation training that you're talking about. That's specifically to be certified as an installer, but you have more of a, the background. Both pieces are important. It depends on kind of what you want to do. And I like that you've built yours modularly so you can just pick and choose. Well, Dalter Salter, thanks for your time today talking about private LTE, 5G, 4G, cellular, all of this. There's so many pieces in here. It's good just to get a reminder that there's more to wireless and Wi-Fi. Yep. And they're complementary and they compete a little bit. So have fun with it. <laughs> Well, you've been listening to another episode of Heavy Wireless, a podcast as part of the Packet Pushers Podcast Network, and look forward to talking with you in the future episode. Thank you.